0: So good morning again, y'all. We're in, we're in week two of a series called What Every Christian Ought to Know. And again, it's not everything a Christian ought to know. It's what every Christian ought to know. Last week, if you remember, we talked through um, that every Christian ought to know that the Bible is the inspired Word of God, that it is the Word of God. And so this week, we're going to hit another basic, and that is the idea that every Christian ought to know the assurance of salvation. Every Christian ought to have the assurance of salvation for you to know, if you're a believer, for you to know that beyond a doubt, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that you are saved. That's the way it ought to be. Alright, so what does that mean? What does that mean to be saved? It means a few things. Three things that it means. Number one is that it means that every sin is forgiven and buried in the grave of God's forgetfulness. Every one of them. Buried, forgiven, and buried. Number two, it means that Jesus Christ comes to, uh, through the Holy Spirit, comes to live inside of us providing peace and providing comfort and providing purpose and providing power and providing security for us. And third, it means that when we die or when He comes back, whichever happens first, that we will be headed home to be with Him. Every believer, every one of us, every believer needs the absolute assurance that he or she has had that experience that we're talking about of salvation. The Lord doesn't want you saying, I hope I'm saved or I think I'm saved. He wants us saying, I know that I'm saved. I know that I'm saved. And you can. And we're going to spend some time today in some of John's writings, mostly in 1 John, little book, but mostly in 1 John, and then some in the book of John and one passage in Ephesians. And in 1 John, that little book, he uses the word know or known 38 different times. He wrote that book, uh, the Apostle John, he wrote that book so that we will know that we know that we have eternal life. Chapter 5 of 1 John, chapter 5, verse 13, it says, I write these things, and he tells us why he's writing the book. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Y'all look, if you could have salvation and not know it, you could lose it and not miss it. Does that make sense? If you could have it and not know it, you could lose it and not miss it. And the truth of the matter is, if you are saved, if you have genuinely been saved, you ought to know it. And if it's real, thank God you can't lose it. Okay? With that said, today I'm going to flip-flop a lot, man. I'm going to, on this side of the coin, this and on this, so understand that. And we're going to walk through some pretty difficult passages, and I'm not ever going to shy away from the tough passages. So we're going to... There's going to be times there, I'm probably going to say some things you're going to want to throw something. So just bear with me until the end. But uh, is it possible to be saved and ever have any doubts? Are you going? To, is that possible? If you have a doubt, does that make you an unbeliever? If you have doubts, does that make you lost? Can you have doubts and be saved? And I'm going to say that 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 doubts don't mean that you Uh, or an unbeliever. As a matter of fact, I think that we only tend to doubt things that we believe. And so I'm going to say that you can't have doubts. I've I've had doubts. I've been a believer for 16 years, and if I sat up here and said I never had a doubt about anything, that'd just be a lie, and I'm not going to do that. I mean, I want to be authentic. Sure I have. Laid in the bed at night and pondered stuff. And so, yeah, I have had doubts. But I'm also going to say... If you're trying to live an authentically Christian life with doubts, it's tough. It's like driving a car with the brakes on. And the Lord doesn't want us to have a hope-so, maybe-so, think-so salvation. He wants us to have a no so salvation. So I want to walk through five or six points. Number one is that assurance, assurance begins with new birth. Assurance begins with being born again. And John's gospel in chapter 3 is very clear about this. The first seven verses say, <clears throat> Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come <clears throat> from God. No one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. And Jesus replied to him, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. How can somebody be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked him. Surely you cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh and Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at my saying that you must be born again. And Jesus is saying here in John's Gospel, you've got to be born again. And he points, he points out some things about that experience, that new birth, that being born again, that we need to understand to have assurance, to be, to be sure, to, to have a degree of certainty. The first thing he points out is that in a birth, when there's a birth, there's a conception. When there's a birth, a conception takes place. Verse 5 says that you can't enter the kingdom unless you're born of water and the Spirit. And the water speaks to the Word of God and the Spirit speaks to the Spirit of God. And so when the, when the Word of God and the Spirit of God come together in the womb of faith, a conception takes place. We're going to talk a lot today about what it all means to be saved. So a conception takes place. Secondly, in a birth. There's a life, not a, there's life that's conveyed. Life is conveyed. Verse 6 tells us that physical life comes from physical life and spiritual life comes from spiritual life. Parents don't just manufacture babies on some assembly line. They pass on the life that's been given to them. Life is transmitted. When you have a baby, life is transmitted. Likewise, in the new birth, when you're born again, the life of god is transmitted in, in into us born again literally in the book of john it literally means born from above salvation salvation doesn't just carry us from here to heaven it gets god out of heaven and into us via the holy spirit so so second life is conveyed third in a birth a new character is produced in the in the flesh in our, in our fleshly bodies, we receive the nature of our birth parents. When we're born of the Spirit and of the Word, we receive the character of a new being with a divine nature. Believers are new creatures. The, the New Testament, throughout the New Testament, Paul talks about us being a new creation, a new creature, a new being. We're not like a tadpole that becomes a frog. We're like a frog that becomes a prince. And so third, a new character is produced. Fourth, uh, a commencement in a birth. A commencement occurs. There's a starting point. There's a place where we begin. A baby, a, a physical baby, is all tomorrows. A, a baby has no past. And so at birth, that baby is all tomorrow's it's a starting point for growth you begin to take steps and it's a cool thing to take the steps and discover and and develop and deploy what the lord gives us at our spiritual birth and lastly in a birth <clears throat> a certainty a certainty is is expected in, in a birth, a physical birth is a definite experience. And I know it sounds silly, but if I were to ask you, have you ever been born? And you were to answer, well, I hope so. I'm doing the best that I can. Or even more ridiculous, if you were to say, well, I've always been born. I've, al- I've always been born. No, there is a certainty that's implied in a birth. There was a time when you were not born, and then there is a time when you were born. So we don't have any say-so in our in our physical birth, but we have a choice in our spiritual birth. 1 John 5 1 says this, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. This new birth happens when we believe that Jesus is the Christ. The passage that Totally speaks to that is Ephesians two eight and nine, and I want to park on that for a minute. In Ephesians 2, 8, nine say, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves; it is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I love, I love, I love this passage, and I love this passage because it is crystal clear about what it is that saves us, and it's very crystal clear about. What doesn't? And it doesn't... It's not me. This passage says it's not me. It's not what I do. It's not my works. It's not the stuff that I do out in the world. And the stuff that I do and you do may be incredible stuff. It may be good. And it it may be awesome. And we may be doing great things for society and the world. Or we may be doing stuff that's not so good. But Paul says... Either way, that's not what cuts it. And if you ask somebody on the street, pick a random person and you ask them, are you going to heaven? They're going to probably say, sure. And you're going to say, why? And they're going to say, well, I'm pretty good. I I act right. I do some good things. I I volunteer, you know, down at the safe house. I I do some good stuff. Look, that's what I thought for 36 years. 36 years I thought if there's a heaven, and I kind of believe there was a heaven, And I just kind of thought that if I acted okay, then I'd be there. But here's the deal. God is not Santa Claus. Making a list and checking it twice and checking who's naughty and who's nice. And most people believe they can behave themselves into heaven. Paul said, not of yourselves. It's not self and it's not works. And the the devil wants you to believe something like this. And, you know, deception sounds kind of good. It's the nature of deception. And he's going to want you to believe something like this. I, well, I understand, Ed, I understand that I, I can't earn my way into heaven. I get that. But works will help. It's the grace of God plus what I do. I do my part and God does his part. Well, y'all, that's a big, fat no. That is not the way it works. I heard another analogy one time that said it's like a rowboat. Y'all pick this apart. It's like a rowboat. And I'm trying to get across the river of life. And that sounds so cushy and sweet. I'm trying to get across the river of life. And I got a paddle. And on this paddle, I got faith. But if I just paddle with that one paddle, I'm going to go in circles. I'm never going to make it across the river of life. But if I add works and I, on the other paddle, and then I can row straight and I can get across the river of life. But there's a fatal flaw in that, y'all. You're not going to heaven in a rowboat. You're going to heaven on the back of grace. It is not faith and works. It is not. It's very clear in that passage. It is a gift from God, and it is not of works. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. Well, what is grace? Grace is, a, is God's characteristic that makes him love messed up folks like me and you sinners like us we don't deserve it it's a gift he gives it in the mi- in the in the middle of us being unlovable we deserve judgment and we get grace we're sinners by birth we're sinners by choice we're sinners by practice but he loves us anyway and that's grace when you think of grace think of this image matter of fact close your eyes and just let me Paint this image in your mind of what grace looks like. It looks like Jesus dying in absolute, cataclysmic, horrific, bloody agony hanging on the cross for the undeserving sinner standing in front of him who spits on him. Y'all get that image? That is what grace is. The dude spits on him, I spit on him, and he, in the middle of him dying for me. That is what grace is. And through faith, Ephesians says, what is faith? Look at this acrostic. And I'm not a big acrostic person, but I like this. And it's forsaking all I trust him. Faith, forsaking all I trust him. Well, what am I forsaking? I'm forsaking depending on me and everything that that means and I'm forsaking my sin, and I'm turning my back on my sin, and I'm trusting in Jesus. I'm putting my faith where my Father put my sins, on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that faith is not just some intellectual belief. It's more than belief. It's a commitment. I can believe that a plane can fly, but I don't trust it until I, get it, get, until I open the door, get in, and the door closes behind me. Y'all, here's how salvation works and how new birth happens. I put my faith in God's grace. And it is not my faith that saves. It's God's grace that saves. Faith just kind of grabs a hold of that grace. You think of God's grace as His bloody, nail-pierced hand Reaching down from heaven and saying, "I love you and I want to save you," and you think of faith as my sin-stained hand saying, "God, I need you and I want you." And when you put your sin-stained hand of faith in God's blood-stained hand of grace, that's salvation. Does that make sense? And with that, that was underwhelming. My sin-stained hand of faith grabbing hold of God's blood-stained hand of grace, that is salvation. That is what happens. And when that happens in 1 John, John gives us some traits of the believers, some traits that every believer has. And I'm going to say if you're a believer, you have these traits. And they may be little right now. They may be very little. But they're going to be growing over time and as you mature. And I call these the birthmarks of a believer. And I want to look at three. And the first one is tough. These verses that we're going to look at in 1 John, I'm just telling you, they're challenging. But we're not going to shy away from challenging passages. So this first test, this first birthmark, is the commandment test. 1 John 2, 3 through 6. And the very starts right, off, right out of the chute. It's tough. He says, we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commands. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not do what He commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. This is how we know we are in Him. Whoever claims to live in Him must live as Jesus did. John is black and white here. He says, look, don't tell me that you're saved if you're not keeping His commands. If you say you are, you're a liar. Now don't get me wrong. You're not saved because you keep the commandments you will keep the commandments because you were saved we learned already that salvation is not by works you're not saved by commandment keeping but there's a problem there, there's a problem and I had this in my mind as I read this passage at first because none of us I don't imagine would say that since we have been saved if you're a believer that we have we've kept all the commandments there's only six thirteen of them have we kept all of those? None of us would say that. But, but here's a little bit of a problem with translations, which with going from Greek to English and going from Hebrew to English. Everything doesn't translate perfectly. That word keep in verse 3 is tereo, tereo in the Greek. And what it means, it was a nautical term. And what it means is to watch over or to guide. And it was used by sailors back in the day. They didn't have GPS. They, they didn't have a cell phone to guide them as they were sailing. So when they, they looked up at the stars and they sailed by the stars and the stars guided them, the stars watched over them, they kept looking up, the stars led them. They called that keeping the stars. That was an idiom 2,000 years ago. They kept the stars. Keeping the stars is like keeping the commandments. A sailor could get blown off course a little bit. He could get distracted. He could waver left and he could waver right. But all the while, he's heading down the straight and narrow with little wavers and little distractions along the way. When we keep the commandments, we steer by them. They guide our lives. This does not speak of sinlessness. That is a pitfall that a lot of people, when they get saved, they have in their mind they're supposed to be sinless. And that's a lie from hell. That's exactly what the devil wants you to believe. And he's going to be all up in your ear telling you, well, you say that you're a believer, but you just committed a sin. You, you're guided and steered by the commandments. Your heart's desire is to keep the Word of God. Since I got saved, my desire has been to keep the Word. Absolutely sinned. But my desire is to be on that straight and narrow. And the commands, the commandments, the Word of God, it's steering and guiding my life. And there are a couple of uh, more tough verses. Verse 6 in 1 John 3. No one who lives in Him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen Him or known Him. And then verses 8 and 9. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning From the beginning, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. And I remember reading that the first time I read that, and I threw my hands up and I said, I'm lost as a goose and going to hell, and I thought I was saved. Because when you read that, just read it, and you you may think that as well, but again, we've got to do a little study because there's, there's an adequate answer. This passage, those four verses, are speaking of a habitual course of action. John is saying that a man that is born of God does not make sin his practice. He does not make sin his lifestyle. He's not living a life of sin. He's not being guided and directed By sin. He doesn't make it his habit. It doesn't mean that he couldn't slip into sin. Here's the deal. Before I was saved, I was running to sin. Since January 17, 2002, I'm running away from it. And I may fall. I do fall. And I do fail. And I do slip. But my heart's desire is to keep the stars. My heart's desire is to to keep God's Word. And if you put all of that in a bucket, if you stir it up, if you put it all in a bucket... John is saying if you call yourself a Christian and you're not steering by God's commands and if you're living a habitually sinful lifestyle with no conviction, no guilt, no remorse, no regret, you're not a believer, don't call yourself a Christian. Now that's tough. I- I'm telling you that's tough. That's what that means. So that first test is the commandment test. But again, I feel like I've got to say this. Don't put sinlessness as the bar because that is absolutely not what the text says. Do you all get that? It's not. Because you, you will fail miserably and you will drive yourself nuts if that's the bar. I remember the day I got saved, I kind of thought that. I kind of thought that. And it took about ten minutes to commit a sin. And I thought, oh, my God, maybe that didn't really happen. So that's not the bar. That's not the bar. So number two test is the companion test. Verses 14 and 15. They say we know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. When we believe, we're born of God. We have a new nature. We're a new creation. We're in Christ and He lives and dwells And indwells us. We cannot possibly love him and not love our brothers and sisters. You cannot do it. Jesus said it so clearly in the Gospel of John in chapter 13. In verse 35 he said, By this, what he's fixing to tell them, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples. By this everybody's going to know that you're mine. And everybody's going to know that I'm yours if you love one another. It's not complicated. They're going to know that you're mine if you love one another. And that does not mean that every Christian is lovable by nature. We most definitely are not. Most of the time, we're quite the opposite. But if you love Him and His love is in you, you are going to love what He loves, and that is His people. Now, on the other side of that coin, That loving your brothers and sisters, that doesn't save you. But if you are saved, you are going to love your brothers and sisters. And that doesn't mean that every second of every minute, of every hour, of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year, that you're going to be holding hands with a bunch of Christians and singing kumbaya because you just love them so much. That is not what that means. That is not what he says even the combination of keeping the stars plus loving folks doesn't save you you love your brothers and sisters and you live a lifestyle of keeping his commands because he saved you so you got the commandment test you got the companion test and third you got the confidence test and this is first john 5:10 says whoever believes in the son of god has the testimony or the witness in himself Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony or the witness that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the greatest test because sort of everything else kind of flows from it. And biblical belief or confidence is not an intellectual thing. You don't really believe about Jesus. You believe in Jesus. Again, you can believe that a plane can fly. And you may be the scientist that you, you may be the scientist that can figure out exactly how the wind works and all the aeronautical, all of that stuff. You may be the smartest dude on the planet and you understand exactly the science behind flying but you don't really really believe and trust it until you hop up into that door. This verse is in the present tense. It doesn't say whoever believed. That's past tense. It says whoever believes. It's got to be in the present. It's got to be in the present tense. And some people are going to ask, are you saved? And the answer is, well, I remember when I was 12 years old and I walked the aisle and I gave my life to the Lord. And that's fine. Me personally, I can remember the second that I got saved. And that's kind of cool. And that's fine. But it is not required that you be able to point to a moment in history when you were saved. The Bible never uses that as a proof of salvation. It always deals with our present confidence. It never says that you will know that you were saved because you can point to the hour and the moment two years ago, five years ago, 25 years ago. It never says that. It's always about whoever... Believes is what the text says, present tense, and if you are believing, then you did believe and so the question is, are you believing right now in Jesus? and some Christians get concerned because they can 't point to that that hour or that minute, and some can. Some grew up in a Christian home and they were nurtured along the way by loving Christian parents, and along that timeline, somehow they came to realize and know that they knew Christ and that they trusted in Him as their leader and forgiver. And it doesn't mean that they went from half saved to three-quarters saved to all the way saved. Because what are you if you're 50% saved? You're 100% lost as a goose. You get that? You can't be half saved. You can't be three-quarters of the way saved. You are 100% saved. Now, if you're a Christian... There was a moment in time where you did go from unbeliever to believer. There was a moment in time where you went from lost to found, and we call that justification. That moment is when you were justified. So there is that moment. But the fact that most probably believers, they can't pinpoint that moment of spiritual birth. They can't give you their spiritual birthday is inconsequential in the scheme of things. A couple of years ago, I took a dude named Eugene, guy that we serve every week on the streets. I took Eugene down to the DMV to get his ID, state ID. He had multiple different IDs, but he didn't have a state-issued photographic ID, so I took him down to the DMV to get it. you got to know Eugene. Eugene, mean as a hornet. Ornery old dude, mean as a hornet. So we walk in to the DMV, and the dude behind the desk says to Eugene, I need your birth certificate. And Eugene said, what for? He said a couple of words in between those two words, but he said, what for? And the man said, for proof of your birth. And I just kind of cringed because I thought, oh, there's no telling what Eugene is going to say. And he filled the space with some expletives, but here's what he said. Well, I'm standing here, aren't I? You know? And so if you are trusting Jesus, present tense, then you're saved. So how do you know in that moment that you really are believing? And there's two, two sort of testimonies. One is the testimony of the Spirit. And again, John, 1 John 5.10 says, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. So the testimony or the witness of the Spirit is the Holy Spirit speaking to your human spirit with a quiet sort of confidence that you belong to Christ. It's an inner awareness that those who are saved know that they are. And then it's the testimony of the Word. The next three verses say, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know, that you have eternal life. That book was given so that we can know. It says it right there, black and white, so that we can know. One one night we were downtown serving uh, on 3rd Avenue. This guy named Mark. I saw this guy for about six months. It was about two and a half years ago. Kind of saw him for about six months. And, we, you know, we're serving whatever we're serving. We're sharing the Lord and this conversation with this guy sorta of culminated after we had spoken in the neighborhood of six months with me asking him, Are you do you feel ready to make Jesus the leader and forgiver of your life? And look, honestly, that's a tough question to ask somebody. It came up to that point and I felt comfortable I asked the question. And he said, Yeah. He said, Yeah. And so I turned to John five twenty-four and I read John five twenty-four. And y'all listen to this. John 5 says, verse 24, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but crossed over from death to life. So whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And I said to Mark, I said, this is Jesus who's speaking. Do you believe that? He said, yeah, I do. Whoever hears my word, have you heard his word? He said, yeah, I have. And believes Him who sent me. I, I, have you believed the Father in the Father who sent the Son, that sent Jesus? He said, yeah, I have. And I said, has eternal life. Do you have eternal life? Well, I sure hope so. That's what he said. I said, wait a minute. I said, we got lost. sidetracked." I said, let's go back and read it again. So we went back and we read the verse again. And I asked him those questions again. And again, he answered yes to every question except the last one. He said, I sure hope so. I said, wait a minute, we're, we're, so, we're not getting this. Went back, I read John 5, 24 to him again. This time, and he answered yes to all his questions. This time when I said, hey, do, you, do you believe that you have eternal life? It was like this LED bulb just went off. And he said, yeah, yeah, I do. He was hollering, I do. And I said, who says so? And he pointed to the verse and he said, God says so. And I said, yeah, he does. And he's not a liar. He's a promise keeper. And he does say so. That's the confidence in the word. And if you add those together, the testimony of the spirit and the testimony of the scriptures, you get certainty and you get assurance and you get I know that I know that I know. And so if you are saved and you have doubts, don't look backwards in time and try to put a, put a pinprick on the calendar of your life and say that was the day. Just ask yourself right now, am I trusting Jesus? And if the answer to that is no, then trust Him right now. And if you are, you will have the genuine birthmarks of a believer. Big or small, there's going to be fruit. Paul would say there's no such thing as a fruitless Christian. If you're a believer, there's going to be fruit. They may be raisins. They may be a watermelon. But there's going to be something there, those birthmarks. You'll have a desire to be steered by His commandments, to be guided by His commandments. You will love His people. You will have a desire and a love for His people. And there will be a quiet confidence witnessed by the Holy Spirit and the Bible that you belong to Him. So it's repent and trust Jesus. Repent and believe that He died on that cross and He made eternal life available to you. And if you've never done that, do it today. He is reaching down His blood-soaked hand of grace. Let Him have your sin-stained hand of faith. Y'all, if you would, close your eyes, bow your heads. Lord, so if you... If you made that decision today, if you said, yeah, you know what? I want to shake that hand. I want you to pray this with me. Lord, today is the day that I made you the leader and forgiver of my life. Lord, today is the day that I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. Today is the day that I want my sin forgiven. Today is the day that I repent and I forsake all and trust you. If that happened to you, y'all can raise your heads up. If that happened to you, there's three things I want you to do. I want you to let us know on that connection card that's in that seat back and stick that in the offering bucket, number one. Number two, I want you to check the, the God Plunge box. September 16th is the next God Plunge. Number three, I want you to sign up for, the, for our Steps class. That is the first sort of step in, a spirit, in, the, in the spiritual rest of your life. Those three things. And stick that in the offering bucket. I want to call our host teams down. Look, this is a time in our worship service that that we worship through giving, that we trust the Lord with our stuff. And for most people, me at the front of this line, it was the last thing I trusted God with. I'm like, I trust you with everything, but man, I want my stuff. I want my stuff. It's tough to do that. But those of us that call my church home, we need to be trusting God with our stuff. And this is a time in our worship service where we give back. We give back to Him what's already His. He just gets to let us. He just lets us have some of it. We're giving it back to Him. And so let me pray over that. And I also want to tell you all, we've got folks down front, if you need prayer, if you want prayer, if you just want somebody to pray with you, if you just, let me encourage you this if you did just make Jesus a leader and forgiver of your life, come pray with somebody. But if you just have some needs and you want that, they're right here. So let me pray and then we'll turn it back over to Stephen and the worship team. Lord, we love You today and we thank You so much for saving us. Father, we thank You for loving us when we weren't lovable, for giving us that gift of grace. Lord, we know and we trust and we believe that You're going to take the resources the stuff, the piece of our stuff that we give you back, um, that you're going to take that and you're going to send us out into a jacked-up, lost-and-dying world to be your witness. And, Lord, I'm thankful that that happens every week in our church, that we are our, our, our folks are going out in the world and you are changing lives through that. And so, Lord, we know that you're going to double and triple and quadruple these resources to to accomplish what it is that you want to accomplish. And Lord, we are so honored and so privileged that you take us along on that ride. And Lord, let us always keep that attitude that we feel honored and privileged that you would use us, as unworthy as we are, that you would use us. So Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.